Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 180. And for I'm going to skip the G update this one time because it's just basically more of the same right now. Um, things are going very well. She's progressing. We just need to do lots and lots of uh, training now. Run lots of marks, hunt upland birds, run lots of blinds, put it all together. Just doing the more of that, the more practice she gets and keeping the standard very high, the, the better. So I'm going to move on past that. And I want to say something in case there's some new listeners here, because I'm, I, uh, this podcast has become relatively popular and I'm, I'm very grateful and I'm, I'm glad apparently some people are finding this useful. And for any new listeners that are tuning into this very first one, um, I just want to explain what it is. I've been training dogs basically all my life, which is quite a period of time. And I did a lot of the obedience and the showing stuff as a younger, as a kid, actually. And then when I graduated from college, my dad said one time, oh, you got to come out and see this train with us. He had retired from the horse business and wanted me to come. And there was a bunch of field trial people. And I watched that and fell in love with the retriever work and the sophistication of it and how much the dogs loved it. So I got into that long ago and have done that a lot. And at some point early, earlier on, actually right after I got married, uh, the pointing lab world joined mine because I couldn't go out and do a lot of stuff anymore. I had kids. And so I learned to, I basically spent decades, you know, trying to understand this. At first thought it was kind of a joke <laughs> and found out that that was not the case. And then wound up training appointing Labradors and trained um, I don't know if there's anyone that's trained more than I have. If they have, I don't know them. But I've, I've done this a lot of dogs for a long period of time and made every mistake in the world. And so I wrote a couple books on the subject um, because it's they're retrievers. They are retrievers, and they do all the retriever stuff. They don't look any different, any of that stuff. They, you know, they're the same only when they encounter a, a live game bird, um, many of them have a very natural and sometimes very beautiful point. So I spent a lot of time working with these dogs and figuring stuff out and getting advice from people that knew a whole lot more than me. And so that's why I wrote books. That's why I still train so many of them. And that's why I have a podcast that is all about dogs, dogs in general, and then retrievers primarily, and then also those that point. So it's, it, and many of the podcasts I give could apply, they apply to my little uh, wiener dog that I have. You know, they apply to, to dogs in general and to people working with dogs in general. So in some ways it's a very general thing. And then I always let people know when we get very specific on certain, you know, because some people don't want to know how to wool break, you know, their Bichon Frise. So <laughs> skip this one. So that's what this podcast is about. It's just about people and dogs. A lot of emphasis on the people part. Because um, there's a lot of how to train your dog things. But how do you train a person to train a dog is a lot. Uh, yeah, it's a big task right there. So that's something that I work on all the time. That's what this podcast is about. And today uh, I am going to... Uh, do some listener questions and break it down into some stuff. I do want to say this. A lot of people, depending on where you get podcasts, 
for example, Apple, this is on, this is on, this is everywhere, I know, but it's on Apple, you only get about the last, what is it, 60 or something or 50 podcasts, and this is the 180th one. So the platform from that this comes from is Podbean, and so if you go to Podbean, and I think you have to get an account. You don't have to pay anything, but you have to get an account there. So, you, And then you can go all the way back to number one if you want to do that. So just in case people are... Because there's a lot of stuff in the beginning. I really do a lot of puppy stuff in the beginning and a lot of personal stuff in the beginning. So at least by the titles, you can often tell. I used to just say listener questions. Now I try to, on the show notes, try to write down what those listener questions are so that if they are something you're interested in, you know to tune in. And if it's something in which you have no interest, you know, you skip on and, and look for something else. So that's the podcast notes for now. I want to remind everybody, my website is now after a divorce and a separation on the company thing. My website is now Batesworks, all one word, uh, .net. And that's where the book, uh, the audio book is also available. So you don't have to read it. You can listen to it while you're driving or trying to go to sleep <laughs> or any of that. Uh, that's on there uh, as on the, on the face or web page as well. So my questions, and I got one just today from one of my favorite people. So I'm going to do this one first. And the question was, um, when you're, I think it was, how do you use the e-collar vibrate versus the e-collar conditioning? Um, and so, or do you use it at all? So it's about using the vibrate mode on, so this is for electric collar users. And I, I just want to say, I know a lot of people view the electric collar like something that you, is a horrible thing. <laughs> and, and it can be. I mean, because it does, it's a, it's a pain inducing thing. People call it stimulation because that sounds a lot better, but it's a various degrees of pain. Uh, on the neck of a dog and it's not a it is not anything can be horrible in the hands of the wrong person a leash can be a horrible thing in the hands of the wrong person but the electric collar is the only way that you can require remote things and enforce them you don't teach anything that way and you know in my world you do not punish with the electric collar you merely enforce something that you've already taught them mechanically Okay, so it's not a bad thing, and it's the only way I know to keep a dog from running across the street or chasing a bird uh, that it can't chase because it's going to get itself in a bad way. It's the only way you can uh, teach a dog that you can still require that they not do those things, even if they're far away from you and running. So electric collar is not a, uh, a bad thing, but the person ha holding it uh, certainly can be. So in terms of collar conditioning, how does how do I do the vibrate? So I'm kind of a purist, also a very simple, simple person. The vibrate does serve a purpose, and I know a lot of my clients tell me I don't I don't do it with their dogs, but tell me they wind up doing it. So the electric collar, just to, for everyone that's unfamiliar with this, all right, it is just a means to enforce things you've taught. You can enforce sit with it. You can enforce hear with it. You can enforce sit with a leash, and you can enforce here with a leash. And so once one form of pressure they understand, I didn't say punish. That's just so important. But you enforce it, and so you enforce it mechanically close up, and then you teach them, I can enforce this 
when you're we're not in leash contact, but we're you know, I have my invisible leash and I can still enforce sit or I can still enforce here. Those are the only places that I use uh, the, the electric collar at all. Now, so you condition them, and collar conditioning is once you've taught them to deal with training pressure mechanically, right? Enforcement of sit and here, then you replace it with this other form of training enforcement, which is a, all still another form of pressure, but it's very important that you've taught them that they can completely control the, the training pressure by merely responding to what you say. And that's all it is, not all that other correction stuff that you always hear about. So when you do that, right, then you do use the stimulation part of that just like a jerk on the leash is not comfortable and the electric collar enforcement is not comfortable, which is the inducement to, okay, I'm going to sit so that never ever, you never have to enforce anything again. Now, nowhere in that process is the vibrate thing. And I can't even imagine how you would ever, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to use your enforcement so the dog is clearly made to understand all right, when I call you, you just come all the time. That You just do that. And the thing that really induces the, the you know, urgency to go comply with you is that discomfort that they're given. And there's no discomfort in a vibrate. So in the conditioning process itself, no. I don't see a place. I don't see it. doesn't mean I'm right, right? But I don't see a place for the vibration. What my clients often do is, you know, and I, I like to teach dogs what gun range is, and I'm going to do a whole podcast on that again because it's been a very long time, but I teach dogs what gun range is so that I'm not, when you're out in the field, you don't have to keep reminding them, don't go that far, don't go, that, you're too far away. That's, you're, you can't, you know, you don't want to be hunting and doing that at the same time. So you can teach dogs to stay in gun range. But what I found is when what people use, and then you can call them back, right? But what people like to use is once their dogs are experienced, they are collar conditioned, they do know gun range, they like to use the the buzz, the vibrate part of that, they to to, to associate that dog with you need to you, you know far enough or come back to me. It, and it doesn't you don't have to whistle or make any noise, particularly if you're hunting wild birds. Noises you want to avoid that. But if you do a vibrate on the collar, then that they learn to associate that with, I've gone too far or I need to return, whatever people use the vibrate for. So that can be very useful. The reason that I do not train that way is because if your collar was not charged or if your collar was broken or you lost your transmitter or your transmitter was malfunctioning, then you no longer have that. Therefore, I don't train something that I may or may not have because sometime you're going to be out there without that stuff and you're not going to be able to use it and then what are you going to do? So I train the absolute, this always works 100% of the time um, and I teach them that I, to respond to me without the use of the collar at all at all at all so I don't have to vibrate or I don't have to do anything uh, they just know if I say something or there's a I but then I got to make the sound okay so that's that's the one issue with that so vibrates great people can certainly use that um, and but I don't train it 
But most of my people find a way to do it so you can ha be out in the up and field with them and not have to uh, make any sound. So that's actually a very good idea. Okay, the next question was with regard to uh, our perspective on dogs. And I was actually in a discussion with a couple of people on this topic. And so, I, you know, they said, well, you should probably put that on the podcast as well. Some people may agree and some people may not. And, you know, I'm all, I'm fine with that. <laughs> no one's having to pay for this. So if you, you know, don't agree with something, I'm, that's just totally cool. But people's perspective on dogs is what uh, defines our interactions with them, defines how we treat them, defines pretty much everything. Is what our perspective is, and it's interesting. And I'm in a position to see a lot of people and their dogs, a lot of them, and for a long period of time. And plus myself and all the dogs that I've had and been involved with, and, and my own perspective. But how we look at them and what we feel and think about when we are going to interact with our animals and do interact with our animals again is what pretty much defines everything. I can tell somebody how to keep your dog from chasing a bird or going across the street. I can, and they're like, oh, that's great. And I say, all right, now how you have to do is you have to enforce, you know, come in when I call and right there, they're gone. They just gone. <laughs> and I know that I'm not going to be able to ever get them to that point because, not because they're not smart or don't care, but because I just challenge the perspective they have about their dog. And when you do that, you aren't, you're gone, you're done. Because when you challenge that, you have challenged the inside of them. And now we're not, we don't go there. And so people's perspective on dogs, it's really good if um, we, we can all evaluate that about ourselves. And I certainly have had to do that. And I'm going to talk about my perspective on dogs. Um, I've had, I've had people say, well, you know, how do you let these dogs go home after you, you know, have such a strong relationship with them? You know, and the answer is always because I really care about the dog. And the dog is better with their family than it is with me in my training kennel. That's a very simple one. It's, but that tells you what they think about dogs and what their perspective is. So I've had, I want to talk, I just want to talk about dog perspective. And the best way I know to get you to think about yours is for me to explain the evolution that I've had. So I've had dogs all of my life. From first memory, there have been dogs in my life. We had German Shepherds when I was born and, and growing up. And so I've always had dogs. And for me, they have always been my safe place. Dogs were always the place where you were always going to be okay. They're never mad at you. They don't criticize you. They don't uh, do damage to you in any way. They just are whatever you want. They're good with. They'll cuddle if that's what you want. They'll go on a walk with you if you want. You know, they were a safe place. And so, and, and there was never, you never had to be afraid of anything. And so dogs were such a safe zone for me. And I grew up in a place that wasn't very nice. Um, my father, who I learned more from animals than anyone else from, very good to animals and very bad to people. And so very, very, very not good to people. And it was an unpleasant upbringing. Um, I was never physically 
uh, nobody did anything to me physically. But it was a very unpleasant, very frightening place because my father operated by breaking the spirit of things is how you control them, not animals. He never did that to a horse and he never did that to a dog. But humans, absolute guarantee, which addressed some kind of very not goodness that was deep inside of him from I don't know what. So for me, that made dogs a haven. And I loved them dearly. And I and, and they were a haven for me. And so also I because it was kind of my nature, I would always teach them things. They were we would play soccer and we would play hide and seek and we would play games. They were my best buddies. And uh, so I learned how to train them and, and it just made sense to you know that they should be somewhat reasonable to have and polite. Plus you had to all animals, all people had to be polite in my house. And so that was a part of it, you know, making sure they behaved and didn't get in trouble. Just like us, we all, all the kids, we tried not to, they had to behave and not get in trouble. So dogs were just, oh, I, I, just a safe zone. You know, you could go to bed at night, your dog all cuddled up and nothing bad was going to happen to you. And that was my perspective on dogs. And when I finally left home and went off to school, and I went, uh, and that was even a harder time because I went to the, at that time, third most expensive state college in the United States, and it was out of state. Um, but I, I was determined, so it was hard. <laughs> I had to study. It was really hard. I had to work and pay for things. It was really hard. And I had my dogs. <laughs> I still had my dogs with me. And they were the one place that was just nice <laughs> and always if, if, and a lot of you I know know what I'm talking about they, you know when they see you they're ecstatic and they want to go if you travel they want to travel with you they just do anything to be with you and they were just always positive and always accepting and they never did any damage to you and so dogs were again just a safe haven and that's what they were to me you know I I thought that I was re really loving my dogs right that's we all do and that's what I thought. So fast forward a little bit, and, and I, get, I get married, and I have, we have two kids. And when I had those two kids, and which are, of course, the pride and joy of my life, when I had those two kids, and I still had dogs, and was training and competing, because um, when I, actually, when I graduated from college and I went home, and my dad said, you got to come see this. He would, had taken up with some field trial people, and then I saw that, and I just was like, I have to learn how you do that. That beats that obedience stuff all the heck. And so I started in the, in the field trial world, and that was a lot of fun, and I learned how to get really good dogs from my dad. I learned a lot of good things from him. Um, but they were still that way to me. I had one, my very first field trial dog. She got on the derby list, and my dad had said, but that's about as far as she could go. She would have been good and okay okay in hunt tests but at that time I was a field trialer and hunt test was for you know people that can't make it in our world I am no longer that snob at all but you know no I'm not going to do that and so my dad said well you should find her a good home and and get another dog oh my lord that's unthinkable to me unthinkable that unthinkable no teak no 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 I called her Slime Dog. Long story, but anyways, no, no, she's with me forever, and she was. Oh, what a horrible person he was! How could I possibly let go of this dog? Cause I loved her so much. 
okay, so anyway, now I have, I have kids. And I began to understand things a whole lot better because when I had my kids, okay, my goal with those kids, I loved them to death, was to find out who they were, what they were all about, and provide as many opportunities as I could for them to go be who they were and to, if they were wanting to excel at that, to do it. If they wanted whatever they were, uh, whatever they were, academically, sports-wise, hobby-wise, heart-wise, whatever it is, that was my job, was to make sure that when they got out into the world as adults where they are now, that they were very capable of dealing with it, of coping with it, of thriving, of and I'm enjoying it and being true to themselves and, and not, you know, and having a really good quality of life and having control of it themselves, not somebody else. And that's what loving those kids was. And I want to say I must have done an okay job because they are out doing that right now. They were, I, I can brag and brag and brag, it, super highlights and some lowlights in there too. But they're out in the world on their own terms doing their thing and they're thriving. Okay, that's what my goal was. And I look back at now at these dogs that I've had all my life and I'm going, okay, I love my dogs, right? But when my father had told me, you should probably find a place for her where she is a superstar, not a failure. You know, and it's like, you know, oh no, I love her. You don't understand, I love her. But what I loved was the fact that she represented so much of my life. I put so much of myself into her training and all that. She was a sweetheart. And, and she was, you know, but she just was now with me while I got other filter dogs that were a lot better. And they got, you know, and she, she just rode along and she was okay with it. So, you know, I loved her so much that she had to just sit there and be an also ran. You know, and I kept her till the day she died. But now looking back, I don't know that if there hadn't have been a, a home where she could go, she was always ran with me, where she could do all those things and would be the the one of the, the big dogs, you know, it would be super important, wouldn't be moved over to the side while the, the dogs that were competing were doing things. But it made me understand that my perspective on my dogs up until I had my kids was that they were meeting needs of mine, right? They, they were there because I needed to feel safe. I needed to feel completely accepted. I had to be in a place where I was never criticized, where I was just always, this, this animal just always adores me. I needed that in my life, and I used my dogs for that. Now, when you're a little kid, and you know, and life's hard, you know, yeah, dogs are fantastic for that. But as I got older and all this stuff, I began to realize that the role that dogs had played in my life was always to help me out, which I think is part of their role. But if in helping me out, I don't do for these dogs what I did for my children, then am I, do I really love them? And do I really care about them? And so I, I believe, and here's my perspective after long kind of boring story my I think that when we have any animal I don't care if it's a horse I don't care what it is when but our performance dogs that so many of us have these dogs are 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 bred with a real purpose usually if they don't have a purpose then they you know would just soon sit on the couch and play video games dog wise 
right? They don't really want to go out there and, and be world beaters, but a lot of them do. And a lot of the people listening to me have dogs that just live to go train, to go retrieve, you know, to go hunting, to go compete. They live for that. That's where they really find themselves, and that's where they get to exercise all of the DNA and the ancestry they have in them. And they're smart, and so they have to think, and they have to use their brain. It sounds like my kids, man. And, then, and they are athletes, and they get to be robust and fit and experience new things and have challenges. That's what we owe our dogs, is for them to become what they're supposed to become for them to experience the world they were meant for. And very often that is not the couch. That is not belly up on the living room floor all day long. It's that other thing where they get to go be who they are. And if who they are is not this big time, you know, competitive or training animal, if it's not that, then that's the worst place for that dog to be. It's like if one of my kids, now both of them got college scholarships, athletic scholarships, not pushed at all. Um, they're just good. And so, it, but what if one of them wasn't? One of them had none, none of that at all. But it was like, well, no, your big brother's doing this. So you need to go, and you try to push them to be athletes, and they feel like they're supposed to be athletes. And then they get to live their life primarily as a disappointment or a failure. That's what a lot of times we do with our dogs. They're not the star athlete. They would really like to be uh, a, a carpenter. But we don't care about that because we want them to be a star athlete. And so, but they're a carpenter. And if we would just be quiet and watch and listen and pay attention, they would tell us that. So I thoroughly believe for young people that our job as parents is to equip them to thrive and be well in life and believe in what they do and do it full-hearted with confidence and belief in themselves not spent their whole life being criticized about everything they're doing wrong and I think for our animals also it's the same way um I it's not about I'm really nice so I'm going to be really nice to this dog and I will never make it heal or sit if it doesn't want to or any of that kind of hooey Right? These dogs, if we love them, they need to be equipped to deal with whatever their life is going to be. Part of that would be don't let them run out in the street. Right? But they need to come when they're called. They need to respect you. They need to understand what their role is in the world, whatever that is. And if you just spoil them rotten because you love them so much, you're not loving them at all. You're loving how you feel about having this, just like I did, in my earlier life. These guys make me feel okay. Something, somebody thinks I'm all right. And that's these dogs. And so I will always keep them around so that I always feel all right. And I, you know, have had all of these situations in my life and things don't love me, but they do. So I'm going to have them around. That's just using these animals. That is not preparing them to go be who they are. Something very robust, even if they're a very loving, supportive animal. Maybe they like to, maybe they like to get out and, and run or walk a lot. Maybe they like to go, you know, maybe they're protection dogs. Maybe they're hurting, whatever they are. They have a thing, just like you and I do. They have a thing that they are about. And if we really love these animals, 
then we give them opportunity to go be and do their thing. And not only just do it, but do it well. So anybody that wanted their kid to go be an athlete, you don't go, all right, you can eat pizza and ice cream all you want. You don't have to go to work out. There's a lot of discipline. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of commitment. There's a lot of this is hard time where they have to go work hard to go be these things. The doctors, you doctors, it's like, I'd like to be a doctor, but I don't want to have to study very much. It's not really going to work. So if you want to go be something, usually there's quite a bit of struggle and work and discipline and commitment and some failure and go back at it for us to become things that we are. And it's, it's true with our animals. True respect for these guys doesn't mean you're only nice to them and you give them lots of treats and food because you want them to be all happy because you're there. That is using that animal to make yourself feel a certain way. I know that because I've been there. So what I learned when I had my kids, because I truly love those two people, is that, one, I respect who they are as living beings. I respect that. They aren't here to make me look good as a mom. They aren't here to make represent the family. They aren't here for any of that. They are here because they were made a certain way by God, and here they are, and they're, they're meant for something. They have a greater purpose than meeting my needs. And if I truly love them, I have to truly respect that and respect who they are and what they are and what they're doing, what they believe in, where their passions are. And then as a parent, my job is to provide opportunities for them to grow and expand in that and for them to to be robust thriving individuals on their own so that for the rest of their lives and I'll be gone they are they are suited to be okay and maybe suited to help other people do the same thing that they're doing that's love is respecting who they are and enabling that and it is, in my mind, identical with our dogs. Because I probably love dogs more than most people because I've made it, aside from my other profession and child rearing and all that stuff, I've made it my life. I have studied it nonstop. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I write the books. That's why I do all the things that I do. Because I have studied this because it absolutely fascinates me and I, I, I like I said I think probably more than most not all I really love these dogs and and when I say that I mean it not the way I did as a kid when I really needed them and used them for something because I was in a bad way I do it now because I respect I know them fairly well I've known a lot of them and I've known some great ones just like my new wiener dog that I have now a lot of respect for that little tiny crazy thing um, as I get to know her more and more. The respect for these animals I have, the respect I have, means that they, sh they should be given the opportunities to be who they were meant to be, to do the things they were meant to do, that they should learn those good feelings from challenge and work and commitment and discipline and trying really hard to do things. They do that. I know because I train them every day. They really respond to that. 
You don't beat on them and hurt them and do bad things ever, ever, ever. And I use electric collars. Nobody's going to get hurt. I, but I can call a dog off a chase 300 yards away, and then they won't be dead. So, yes, it's very much worth it. But if I could get people to, instead of looking at their dogs for what they get from them and how they feel when they do things that are not in their best interests, like lots of food and lots of, you know, stuff that just doesn't benefit them learning to go be who they are and to be able to cope with all the difficulties in the world they're going to encounter. You know, sometimes they're not going to be with you. You're going to be going to Europe and they got to stay here. And they've got to be in a boarding kennel somewhere. Wouldn't it be nice if they could do that easily? Oh, okay, I'm here now. I'll wait till they're back because I know they're coming. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if you could go do whatever it is and they're not jumping all over other people and barking and attacking other dogs and being up? Wouldn't that be nice if it wasn't that? That if they actually had some self-respect about their own behavior and they knew what their place, do you know what a good feeling that is for an animal to understand its role? And to know that there are boundaries and honor those boundaries and respect other animals and other people, that's a big deal for them, just like it is when young people do that. No, it's so nice to meet a young person that speaks well and listens to you and is respectful. That is so refreshing and so nice, right? And it is the same way with dogs. And that person is going to get a lot farther in life because of the way they treat others around them, because of the respect they have for their other other people. And it is exactly that way with dogs. So if you really care about these dogs, and I know because for years I was the love them one, and I do love them, but in that I give them respect and I want them to be able to go thrive and do what's best for them. So have I since then when I've had dogs that did not fit were not going, they were going to be a disappointment, I would help people find a place where that dog would be a big deal, where it would be significant and it would be important. And when people looked at it, it would be with admiration and respect, not, oh, look, aren't they pretty? I know they're no good over there, but I'll take care of them. That's sad. That's like, oh, that's like the foster kid nobody wants. So I that's, that's the thing on perspective. And I'm going to, that was... I promised I would get that out and, and talk about it. Um, it's, it's, how do I let dogs that I've had for a year, two or three, you know, go back home? Because at home, they are superstar. They are, they are loved and taken care of, and they can do all kinds of, and these people adore them, and they are the big deal. With me, they're one of many. And if I really care about that dog, I don't want, want it one of many. I want it somewhere where it's, it's special. Um, so doing what's best for the animal, I am to that point. That's how much I love them, just like my kids. You know, they're not living at home anymore. I'd love to have them around me all the time. They are far away <laughs> doing great things, having amazing experiences. And that's exactly what I wanted, even though I don't like it. It's exactly what I wanted because they're out there living life large and enjoying it. And that's the same thing I want for every animal I have anything to do with. So that's today, kind of a Christmassy thing, really. But that's what—that's my thing today. I hope uh, at least it makes you think a little bit about stuff. And again, I hope everybody's healthy, staying safe and warm. And I will be back maybe with a G update next time.